Welcome back, Nasio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how God desires for his people to represent his heart to the world. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, yeah. It's uh, it stopped raining finally. The sun's out, shining. So glad to be with you today. Um, we're wrapping up our series in Jonah. I know many of you have just had good feedback. We've just really enjoyed this series. And so kind of sad that it's coming to a close, but we're in Jonah chapter four today. So if you have a Bible and you want to kind of flip there and put your finger there, we'll read a text together in just a moment. So the title of this message is It's a Heart Thing. And I believe that what's in a person's heart is the most important thing about them. Do you believe that's true? Yeah. And Jesus actually taught on this. Jesus said that what's in our heart is the most important thing about us. This is what he said in Luke 6.45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so Jesus taught that what's in our heart is the very most important thing about us. And we've we probably experienced this in life, right? Like you know somebody at your work or at school or wherever, wherever you live life, that person that's maybe really talented and really good at what they do, but at the same time, they don't have very good character. Like maybe they're just lying all the time or they're constantly running down other people behind their back. You know what I'm talking about? People that just kind of lack character. They might be really good at something, but they, their heart is, just isn't real good. And on the flip side, you know when you're around somebody who, who does have a good heart, who is trustworthy, and they're kind, and you don't have to wonder where they're at, like, there's a difference, right? So our character matters. The unseen part of us matters. Because our heart is where all of our, our thoughts and our feelings and our decisions and our behaviors come from. And God knows that. And so uh, oftentimes we want to look at the outward appearance of people and we want to size people up kind of on the outside. And God says, no, what's in your heart is the very most important thing. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's where our motives come from. That's where our decision making comes from. And so from a biblical Christian understanding, the heart is like the central processing unit of you. Your heart is uh, where you think, where you believe, where you feel. All of that comes from what we call the heart. And Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it for the springs of life. So this week we're wrapping up Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. And I'm going to do just a really quick recap. I've done this every week, and so you're going to hear it a little bit again. But um, in case you haven't been with us, this is the story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet of God. And God says, Jonah, get up and go over to Nineveh and preach to them a message that I, that I give you. This was his career. Like, he's a prophet. He's a messenger of God. And he says, uh, no thanks, God. I'm going to go on a little cruise. I'm going to take a little cruise ship here. I don't know if it was a cruise ship. I mean, but he gets on a boat, right? And he goes to the opposite direction. He's sailing away from the direction that God wanted him to go. 
God brings a storm to get his attention. The crew figures out Jonah's disobedient. Jonah, what you doing, brother? And he says, well, just throw me overboard because I'd rather die. I don't care about the Ninevites. I hate them. I'm not going there. Kill me. So they say, okay, sorry, and they throw him overboard. God brings the great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah has a little come-to-Jesus moment in the belly of the fish, cries out to God, and God rescues him, spits him up on dry land, right? And so then Jonah gets the same message again, go to Nineveh. Okay, this time he goes. So he goes into Nineveh, and last week we talked about how he was half-hearted in his assignment, it took three days to get across Nineveh. He, he did one. Ah, I'm going to stop in this alleyway here, partway through the city, and I'm going to deliver the worst sermon ever, right? It's just a short little, hey, 40 days and you're done. That was his message. And the people like repented and put on sackcloth and ashes and fasted. The work of the Spirit worked through Jonah's words, even though he was half-hearted in his presentation. And so we saw how the power of God can work through even somebody who isn't really on board and how God was working on Jonah's heart while he was on mission. And so I think there's a theme throughout the book of Jonah, probably more than one theme, but the one that I've really picked up is that God is a pursuer of people. God pursues people. We've seen it all throughout the book of Jonah. When Jonah was wayward and he was running from God, God pursued him on the ship. God pursued Jonah in the belly of the fish. God pursued a relationship with the crew, right? The crew of sailors that was on the ship with Jonah. God is pursuing a relationship with the people of Nineveh by calling them to repentance. So God is a pursuer of people. He has always desired a relationship with his creation. And we see that so clearly throughout this book. And so God not only pursued Jonah to get him to go and deliver the message, but he's doing some serious, deep heart work with Jonah. And we're going to see that today. And, and I think you'll, you'll see where this is all going in just a moment. So let's grab our Bibles, if you have one. Jonah chapter 4. I'm reading from the NLT today, just changing it up a little. So curveball if you've got something else. Um, but you can change it on your Bible app if you want to do that. So here we go. Jonah chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say this before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and it soon spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. So the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, 
is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant? Though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? So Jonah, he's got some problems, right? We can just say that. Our brother Jonah's got some issues. He has got a heart full of anger. That's the first thing that we see. Jonah is angry. He's just flat out angry. So he preached his message to the Ninevites. They repented, and he's like, ah, I was kind of hoping that maybe I could, you know, short-circuit this process and, and bring God's vengeance and his wrath upon them. Jonah thought he could fool God. I mean, you think that he would have learned by now? You can't fool God. He tried that once already, tried to run, tried to hide, tried to get on this boat. God found him. God's purposes are going to happen. God's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish no matter what. You can't fool God. But I think Jonah thought maybe he could. If he just you know, walked partway through the city and delivered a, a not-so-good sermon, that maybe those people would still perish. But also, I think deep down, Jonah figured God was probably going to redeem the people of Nineveh. God was going to change their hearts. God was going to save them. But Jonah's anger came from a place of judgment and self-righteousness, right? These were his enemies. The Ninevites were horrible people. They had done awful, unspeakable things to the nation of Israel. And now Jonah's supposed to go and show love and compassion to them? So he actually complains to God about being too good. This is what he says in verse 2. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So he's in essence telling God, you're too nice. You're too good. I want angry God. I want wrath God. And, and he's complaining about this because he wants the people to be destroyed. He hates the Ninevites. They're his enemies. And I love what God does here because he asks Jonah a question. And if you read through scripture and you pay attention to this, God asks a lot of questions of people. And Jesus taught this way too. He would often ask a question. He would draw out the heart of a person. And so this is, if you look at our text, verse 4, God asked Jonah the question. Oh, and by the way, so maybe one of the, one of the main examples of God asking questions is in the garden, creation account. God says, where are you? After they had eaten of the forbidden fruit, was it that God didn't know where they were? No, of course he knew where they were. He was asking them, can you locate yourself? Do you realize what you've done? So God asks questions to draw us out to get to the thing behind the thing. What's really going on in the heart? So he asked Jonah the question, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah doesn't answer. He's pouting. He goes out in the wilderness and he builds himself a little fort, right? He's angry and he doesn't want God to forgive Nineveh. And so God's getting at the thing behind the thing in his heart. And Jonah's mad, and he's basically, God is not operating the way that Jonah thought he should. Jonah thought he knew better than God. God, this is the way you should respond to these people. This is what they deserve. They deserve punishment. And so Jonah 
is trying to tell God how to be God, right? But people get angry with God all the time, and we do it because we think we know what's best. Maybe you've been there before. I've been there before. You've been angry with God before? Maybe somebody's here today and has some anger in their heart towards God. I have a list of things that I want to share with you. These are some things that Christians get angry about. When we think we deserve something from God and we don't get it. Man, God, I thought I deserve that promotion at work. I thought I deserved to be blessed by you. I thought you were going to give me children. I thought you were going to bless me with, with whatever. We think we deserve something from God and he doesn't give it, so we get angry. The next one is when we see God bless somebody else that we think is unworthy. Lord, I can't believe you blessed him. He's a dirtbag. I can't believe you gave her that, right? Have you seen how she lives? And so we, we put our judgment on somebody else. We think they're unworthy. And when God blesses them, we get upset about it. Or if God takes the blessing away from us, our health, our money, our job, a loved one, our plans, our dreams, things don't turn out the way that we thought they would. And we get angry with God because we know what's best. Or we're self-righteous. And that's where Jonah was, right? We think we know who deserves what and who's better than somebody else. So I want to just have two questions for discussion here. The first one is this. Have you ever been angry with God? And for what? What was it for? Anybody want to share? Anybody ever been angry with God about something? He's taken a lot of my loved ones away. He's taken away. Taken away loved ones. Yeah, it's hard. And we grieve that loss, right? But it's, it, it, it can turn into anger. Like, God, why did you do that? We want people to live forever. That's how we're wired. We're wired for eternity. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute, right? Anybody else? Something you've been angry about God? With God? No anger. Oh, you guys are great. You're awesome. All right, how about this one then? Maybe, maybe you don't want to share what you're, you've been angry with God about, but if you were angry with God, how did that help your situation? Right? Was it helpful? Turn out really well? Anybody? I've seen a lot where I'm really focused on God and I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm spending time and I'm repenting and completely focused yeah, he said it's easy to have our focus, our spiritual focus on God, and then something little happens. Again, trigger, we don't, you know, and then all of a sudden the focus goes back to something else. And we're going to unpack that in just a minute. So we're, we're going to keep going here. So, so uh, Jonah is dealing with his anger, or God's dealing with Jonah's anger, and he's giving him a little heart lesson. This is really what this whole chapter is about. God's kind of peeling back the layers with Jonah. He's dealing with them. So Jonah's outside of the city. He's gone out onto the east side, and he's up on a hill, and he's kind of just sitting there watching, right? He said 40 days, so he's, he's kind of secretly hoping maybe God will still blow him up, drop a nuke, like just take him out, right? And, and, and it says that he made a shelter, and I'm imagining uh, when I was a kid, we used to go out to like the shed or the garage and we'd grab like two by fours and some plywood and a tarp and like build stuff. Does anybody else do that as a kid? We'd make forts 
You know, put the little sign on there, no girls allowed or whatever. And I'm imagining Jonah because he's acting like a child. And he's out there in his fort. He's sitting in his little perch watching the city pouting. That's what Jonah's doing. And even though he's out there not responding very well, God still pursues him again. And he says, Jonah, I want to deal with your heart. I want to work on what's going on inside of you. He's teaching him a lesson through an object lesson, right? So God causes this leafy plant to grow up. And I don't know what kind of plant it was. We don't know for sure. I imagine like this little mini palm tree or something. So he's got shade. He's comfortable now. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. I got my fort. I got my shade. Probably a little fruity drink or something, you know. Just watching the show. And then all of a sudden, God brings the worm. And the worm eats the, the tree or the, the plant. And it withers and dies. And now he's ticked again. Man, he's just up and down, right? And so God's teaching him a lesson, though. God's teaching him that God is sovereign over creation. He gets to decide when to give and to take away. God brings the plant, and God brings the worm. And so he's teaching Jonah, I'm God, I'm over all creation, you are not. You don't get to decide who lives and dies. You don't get to pronounce judgment on the people of Nineveh. That's my job, Jonah. There's a story in the Bible that maybe you've heard of, the, the story of Job. Job was a man who had everything, man, he was crushing it. Job had all the land, and he had all the livestock, and he had a big family, and uh, I mean, he, he was like wealthy, wealthy, had all the nicest tractors and the side-by-sides, and like, you know, like he's really doing well. And then all of a sudden, he loses everything. God takes it all away from him, and it wasn't his fault. But Job has a very different response to God than Jonah did. This is what it says in Job one twenty one. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job, in his misery, and he had boils on his body. I mean, the dude's like in agony. He's able to say, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. The Lord blesses, and the Lord removes the blessing. Doesn't change who he is. I brought nothing into this world. I'm taking nothing with me when I go out. And Job had that kind of uh, understanding, that maturity, Jonah does not. Jonah's like, when I got my plant, I'm happy. When the worm comes, I'm not happy. And he's pouting, and he says, I'm I'm ready to die. And this is kind of a dark time for him, right? So Job understood the sovereignty of God in a way that Jonah didn't. God was dealing with his heart and trying to help Jonah see that he needed to trust God, even though he didn't understand his ways. And we've probably heard the phrase, a person needs a taste of their own medicine. Have you guys heard this before? Like, pretty common, right? And it actually comes from um, a Greek storyteller, Aesop, Aesop's fables. And so there was a story about where this came from. There was a swindler, and he would come to town, and he would sell, think of like a snake oil salesman. Like he's selling, oh, he's selling his products, he's smooth, he's slick, but it's like sugar water. Like, I'm selling you medicine, but it's really not going to do anything for you. And so what happened then is the salesman gets sick, and people of, uh, the people of the village start giving him his medicine back. Like, oh, you're sick? Well, take some of this. And that's where the phrase, a taste of your own medicine, comes from. But it's a way of teaching a lesson, isn't it? 
And God's really giving Jonah a taste of his own medicine. He says, you want, you want judgment? You want me to remove my blessing? I'll take away your tree. I mean, it's a pretty small lesson, and he gets ticked. He's ready to, to die. He thinks his anger is justified. And so he took the tree away by bringing the worm. It's for God to give and for God to take away. It wasn't up for Jonah to decide. And so God's basically saying, stop putting yourself in the place of judgment that belongs to God. Stop trying to be God. It's not your place, Jonah. And I think this becomes practical for us when we, we think about how, what is our heart posture towards God? Are we, do we serve and love him only when life is good? Only when the shady plant grows over us? Or do we still love and serve God even when the worm comes along and things shrivel and crumble and life is hard and we have trials and struggles? It kind of reveals where we're at and, and what our view is and our, our spiritual maturity because the, the more spiritually mature, spiritually mature we become, we, we can thank God not only for the plant, not only for the shade, but we can thank Him for the worm. And we say, God, this is hard right now. I don't understand this and I don't like it, but I know you're doing something in me. You're making me more like Christ. You're developing my character. You're developing the inner part of me that people don't see. That's the most important. And so can we truly thank God for the, for the shade of the tree, but also for the worm and the struggles that come along? So I want to pause for two more questions here. And the first one is this. Don't get shy on me, guys, all right? Share something. You'll, you'll benefit the whole room. The first one is this. Have you ever found yourself telling God what he should do? I know you guys got this one. Somebody's got an answer. Have you ever found yourself telling God what he should do? And how did that go for you? <laughs> so, still waiting for it to happen. Right? Still. Um, I've done it many times, but what I find interesting is that when I decide I'm going to be God in my own life, I'm the one that causes all of this. Had Jonah done what God had said in the first place, he wouldn't have experienced the storm, he wouldn't have experienced the fish, he wouldn't be out on the hill, he wouldn't be hot, he wouldn't be wanting to die. He could have gone to Nineveh, gotten a great hotel, <laughs> and, and had a wonderful time and made friends and, and you know, helped everybody. If he would have actually followed God's plan, I'm the one that brings these lessons in, and, and when I'm disobeying, then it's really, really difficult. Hmm. But even in my mess, God uses my mess. It's not God's mess. I'm the one that put myself out on that hill. Yeah. And then he uh, tends to teach me things so that perhaps I will choose differently next time. Could you guys hear that? Wow. That was amazing. That's, that's the message, right? We bring the problems on ourselves when we try to be God. When we try to take matters into our own hands. And yeah, maybe Jonah would have had a nice stay at the Hilton. I don't know. I mean, could have been a nice little vacay for him if he would have just obeyed God in the first place, you know? So yeah, we bring troubles on ourselves often because we're living in disobedience. We're living in sin. 
Second question is this, why is it hard for us to have a thankful heart in times of trial or suffering? Why is it hard to thank God for the worm? People think we're nuts to say thank you for trials. Say that again? People think we're nuts when we say thank you for trials. Yeah, yeah, people think we're nuts if we're thankful for a trial. What the difference between living in the flesh and spirit? The spirit is we see and are thankful in trials. And so really it comes down to perspective, Right? Because most people in the world think we're happy when things are going good and we're super bummed out when they're not. But as followers of Jesus, we have the promises that God always does what's in our best interest. And so even if we're going through a trial and a struggle, we know that he's still got us. And that's the perspective. That's where it comes from, right? So what God is trying to do in Jonah is he's trying to give him a heart for people. I don't know if you picked up on this yet. Jonah does not have a heart for people. He has a heart for plants. Evidently, he's in the wrong field. No pun intended. So he, he has a heart for people. It, it, he needs a heart for people. In verse 9, God asked Jonah another question. Here he asks him, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about a plant? Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And so God asked him a question. This time Jonah answers. Last time he ran away and hid right on the hill. This time he answers, but it's with anger. He retorted. You can hear the angst. He says, God, I am angry enough to die over this. And what it all came down to, and God, again, God's peeling back what's going on in Jonah's heart. Jonah cared more about his personal comfort than other people. It's the bottom line, right? Jonah had become very self-centered and very into his own thing and his own anger and vengeance towards the people of Nineveh. And he had no heart for them. He had no care for them. He had more compassion for a plant than human beings. And so what causes a lack of love for people? I think there's, there's probably a lot of answers that we can come up with why we don't love people. But I'd say one of the main ones is when we become self-centered. When life becomes all about me. When all I can think about is my comfort, my thing, my little kingdom, my family, my hobbies, my trips, my bank account, whatever. It becomes about me. I have no, I have no margin for anyone else. We know this, right? Like You can't be self-centered and loving and caring about other people. It's kind of an either-or thing. And so that's why it's sinful too, because God knows it's, it's harmful to us to be self-centered, to be self-absorbed. God designed us to be in community with other people, to live as a family, to take care of each other's needs. And everyone benefits when we're others-oriented. When we're self-centered, everything breaks down. And you probably know this from your family dynamics. At our house, we have a um, chore chart on the fridge. And there's, everybody kind of has their chores. And what we found as a family is when everybody does their chores, the house runs pretty smooth. It's clean, right? Mom and dad pitch in, the kids pitch in. We all do our part and we, we, we pick up after each other. But if we start to be self-centered and we say, well, that's not my job. You need to do that. Pretty soon, nothing's getting done. The house is a mess. 
And then it's Mother's Day and we, we got some work to do. So a little public service announcement today. Everybody do your part, okay? Pitch in. Because we're so much better together when we're not just focused on me and what I want and telling somebody else that they need to do their thing, right? God's designed us to work together and to have a heart for others, to be others-oriented. So I think having a heart for people, having a love for people starts with valuing what God values. God valued the people of Nineveh. He said, there's 120,000 image bearers down there. My people that I've created. Jonah, we got to love them. We can't ignore them. And so it starts with valuing what God values. And I get it. Sometimes we don't want to be around people who are different than us, people who have different beliefs, people who have different backgrounds, look different than us, talk different than us. And God says, no, I love them. They have value. And so it starts, a a love for people. If we want our heart to be uh, caring and and loving people, it starts with valuing what God values. And obviously not being self-absorbed in our own stuff. And so maybe it's good for us to do a little heart check today. What do you love? What do you hate? What do you put value on? Are we valuing the right things? Do we love what God loves? Do we love people? Or are we more concerned with our stuff and just being self-absorbed in our little lives? Because that's a dead end. And and God was working on Jonah's heart. He's saying, Jonah, man, you're on mission. You're you're doing your job, but but you got some anger and you got some issues. And we're, we're trying to work on this because it matters. Your heart matters. What's in here matters. God, God worked on Jonah's heart because he loved him. And he wanted what was best for him. And he also wanted him to represent him well, right? We are God's ambassadors. We represent the God who's created us. And we want to be an accurate representation, an accurate reflection of God's heart. We don't want to communicate to other people in the world around us that God's angry, God hates you, you know, God's a certain political party or God's whatever, right? That we want to reflect God the way that he is. And so he's inviting us to be a part of that. He's inviting us to be a part of the work that he's doing, the deep work in us. Because like I said at the beginning, what's in your heart matters. That's the most important thing about us. So God doesn't want, to live us, want us to live in a place of anger. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've got some anger. Maybe, maybe life just hasn't gone the way that you wanted it to. Or maybe you think, God, you need to listen to what I have to say because I know what's best for my life. Maybe we sit in a place of judgment and we're trying to tell God what's, what's right and wrong. And so I just invite you today to whatever God's doing in your heart, if he's stirring in you and he's pressing on something, don't do what Jonah did. Don't go build a fort. Don't go hide out. Participate with God. Say, okay, God. So there's one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139. And David had a response to God. He said, search me and know my heart, O God, and see if there's anything off. If I'm I'm messed up, God, fix it. I want to be an open book for you. I want to participate because God calls us into a relationship with him, but we get the choice of how we're going to respond. He doesn't force it. He pursued Jonah. Jonah kept running. And by the way, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but Jonah 4 just ends Like the book just ends and I'm like, well, what happened? We don't know. We don't know for sure. 
But we do know that God was a pursuer of Jonah. God's a pursuer of you and me. And that's really good news. God hasn't changed. He's still the same God who wants a relationship with his people. So whatever he's doing in your heart today, just participate with him. Let him do the deep heart work that he wants to do because it's for our own good. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the same God that we read about, that the story of Jonah comes from thousands and thousands of years ago, but yet, God, you're the same, the same God, slow to get angry, abounding in loving kindness, compassionate, a, pers- a pursuer of people and relationship. And we thank you that you desire that same relationship with us that you desire to redeem and restore us the same way that you did for Nineveh. People that didn't deserve it, they deserved death. They deserved punishment for the horrible things that they had done. But you extend grace and mercy because that's who you are, God. And so thank you that you extend the same mercy and grace to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for new life. And thank you for your commitment to not just let us go our own way and be selfish and be angry and and to fall into all these traps of sin, but that you deal with the stuff in our hearts because you see it. You say, out of love, my sons and daughters, I want to deal with your stuff. I want to deal with your heart so that you can be whole, you can be healthy. Thank you for that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from the service. A heart of anger. Jonah's anger came from a place of judgment and self-righteousness. God was not operating the way Jonah thought he should. Jonah thought he knew better than God. A heart lesson. God is sovereign over creation. He decides when to give and when to take away. God brings the plant and he brings the worm. God was dealing with his heart and trying to help Jonah see that he needed to trust in God even though he didn't understand his ways. It is for God to give and for God to take away. Stop putting yourself in a place of judgment. That belongs to God. A heart for people. Jonah cared more about his personal comfort than other people. We won't have a heart for people if we only focus on ourselves and our personal comfort. Discussion questions. Have you ever been angry with God? What for? How did being angry with God help your situation? Have you ever found yourself telling God what he should do? How did that go? Why is it hard for us to have a thankful heart in times of trial or suffering? Thanks again for listening, Missio family. We'll see you again next week.